Hey, how's it going? It's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's episode four. I'm really glad to have you here. Let's have some fun. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. I'm your host, Maddie C. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to episode four. My guest today is Jared Yates Sexton. Jared is an author and a podcast host and a professor and just a really fascinating person. Um, I first came to know Jared's work through um, his writing on political uh, affairs. He's done a lot of work uh, writing about the Make America Great Again movement and um, the election of Donald Trump and a lot of the different cultural and political things that have happened in the wake of that over the last five or six years. But Jared's also done a lot of work where he's written a lot of fiction. He's written a lot of memoir stuff, including a very touching book that he published in 2020 uh, called The Man They Wanted Me to Be, which is a look at growing up in a culture of toxic masculinity and some of the trauma that he had to endure. We talk about that a little bit. Uh, we talk about how the cultural things that I've been covering here are seeping into our culture wars and our political discussions and things as simple as school board meetings and the way that we teach history. And it may seem like we're going to have a political conversation today and we're going to touch on some of those things, but politics is culture and culture is political. And that's just the nature of the beast. And I will say we go out of our way to not talk about this in terms of one idea versus another or a, a solution. I think I've been pretty clear about my political viewpoints, but this also isn't this isn't a podcast about trying to espouse a particular belief system. It's about self-discovery and how we connect with art and each other. And so Jared and I keep it in that in that frame. And there were times when I worried we were going to kind of go out of uh, you know off the script a little bit, and we always managed to find our way back. So if you feel like it's getting a little too political, I'll just ask you to be patient and hang tight. If you feel like it's not political enough, I'd be happy to talk with you more about these issues because I certainly have a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts. But this is a great conversation with Jared. We touch on so much important stuff. We hit on the idea of privilege and the crisis of consumption and how it's not giving us sort of the spiritual things that we need and everything that we're chasing is sort of pulling us further and further away from what we really need. We talk about the erosion of appreciation. We talk about toxic masculinity. And maybe most importantly, we talk about stopping and listening to the goddamn birds. If I've learned one thing in this last three or four months while I have really kind of gone through the ringer, emotionally speaking, as I kind of started to come out the other side of one of the most no, not one of the most, the most awful, difficult, depressive, horrendous periods of my life. And it stretched on for the better part of two and a half years. But as I've come out of that, what I keep learning is that the important stuff is all there. Stopping, 
looking at the magic of the world and the wonder of things. And like Jared says, listening to the birds. Just stop. Put pause on this podcast right now, wherever you are. Even if you're driving, look around. There is no reason any of this makes any sense. No, you can't explain it away. You can look at all the different things that you did to get here today. But why are you here at all? How is it possible that I'm talking into a microphone and hours, days, weeks, maybe years later, you're hearing it in a little machine someplace different? That's amazing. That's one of three billion amazing things that's going to happen to you today because this whole thing is amazing. And for a long time, I've been really afraid of accepting that, of being willing to look at the world as magical because it sounds corny. It sounds dumb. But it's true. And the more I believe it, the happier I get. The more grateful I become, the more I appreciate the people and the things and the moments in my life. And I'm still really spoiled and I'm really privileged and I'm still really misguided sometimes. And I had some, I had some days this week where I was off my meds and um, I didn't feel great and I struggled and I faked it till I made it. That's how that sounds, past tense, right? Faked it till maked. I think that's right. Yeah, I'm sure it's right. Let's keep that in there. But it requires faith, and it requires, and I don't mean faith in the religious sense. I mean, I mean self-faith, and I've never had that. I've never fostered that within myself because I thought that I could find ways to work around it. I thought that I didn't need to find peace because I could just work harder. I didn't need to find calm or contentment or satisfaction or purpose because I could just do more stuff. I could distract myself. I could hang out with more people and I could play guitar more and I could watch more movies and I could do more things and I could blah, 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 blah. And no matter how much noise I made and no matter how distracting the world got, sooner or later it was going to get quiet. And what I couldn't handle was the quiet. Sometimes I still can't handle the quiet. And it's one of the reasons that I have always run my mouth because silence frightens me. Because I don't, I don't know what to do with it because it's just me. But it's a skill that I'm learning and it's a thing that I'm, I'm actually getting kind of comfortable with and I'm getting better at. Lately, I've been walking without taking a podcast or music with me and I just, I just take the world in as I'm walking around. And it's been really lovely. It's been really nice. And so... Jared and I talk about listening to the birds. And I think if there's one thing you might want to learn from today, it's that. It's that you should stop doing whatever you're doing and listen to the birds. Step outside the car or your office or your place of business or your job or your school or your bedroom or the bathroom or wherever you are. Step outside. Be quiet and just stand there for a couple of minutes and really listen, really intently listen. 
Don't try to think of anything. Don't listen for anything specifically. Just let it happen. I've never believed that I was a person who could meditate. I thought, well, no, that just doesn't work for a dude like me. And maybe it doesn't. But it sure shit doesn't work if you sit there and you go, I'm a dude who can't meditate. Well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, my friend. You will definitely become a dude who doesn't meditate. And that's what I have become. And that, that might be okay. But I know that three times this week, we were lucky enough here in Michigan to get some sunshine, which is a rarity this time of year. And each time during those three days, I walked out onto the little step out in front of the shedio here. I stopped what I was doing and I went outside for five minutes and I stood there in the sunshine in the late Michigan winter in 38 degree weather and I just let the sun wash over me. I closed my eyes and I stood there and I just was and I listened and I just was and it was beautiful and it made my day better and if the sun shines tomorrow I'm going to go do that again and if it doesn't I'm still going to go out and I'm going to go listen to the birds even if it's for 90 seconds because it improves my day so go find the birds go listen to the birds and if you listen to the birds just pause and then listen to me and Jared Yates Sexton. And if you decide you'd really rather listen to me and Jared Yates Sexton before you listen to the birds, I think that's a mistake. And I think this is a really good talk. But I think that's, I think that's a priority and a value judgment on your part. But that's – I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to should on you as my friend Johnny Amcrash says. So you decide when you want to listen to the birds. You can do it before I talk to Jared or after. It's up to you. Because, again, this is all magic. It doesn't make any sense. You can stop this thing and start it and do it anytime you want. So this is me and Jared Yates Sexton talking about a whole bunch of stuff. Talking about stuff that normal dudes in middle America at middle age don't really talk about very often. Jared and I are weird, and that's one of the reasons we got along. So I hope you enjoy this chat. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really hope you're enjoying what I'm doing here. Again, it'd be really great to have your support. Please go over to whatamimaking.substack.com. You can sign up for a free or a paid subscription today. Again, what I'm doing here, I want to make it available to everyone, but I have to earn a living doing it. I have to make some money if I'm going to devote this much time and talent and energy to it. And it's really uncomfortable for me to ask for your support, but I just have to get used to it or I have to keep doing it anyway because I need your help and I can't do it without you. So if you'd go over to whatamimaking.substack.com, you can sign up for a free subscription. You'll get an email every time I post something new. You'll get to see all the different uh, work that I'm doing over there, everything from the podcast to different stuff that I'm writing about, specifically about pay equity and labor issues in the music industry and how it affects somebody who makes music at the level that I do, as well as a bunch of stuff about design and film and all of these heady topics that we've been talking about in the first six weeks of this thing. But what would really be great to have your support would be a paid subscription. And this is what gets hard because I've avoided, as I've talked about here and I've talked about on the blog, I have deliberately avoided asking people for financial support because in a way it allowed me to hedge my bets. 
the word that I came up with was that I've been a tourist in, in the arts. I've been somebody who got to hobby here to vacation occasionally, but never really had to make a living. I didn't have to, I didn't have to make a life here. All I had to do was have some fun and get out and I, I didn't have to make any money. And I've reached a point where not only do I need to have some value for my own, my own self-esteem and, and just my own sense of self-worth, but I also have it because I have to pay, I have to have it because I have to pay regular bills. Um, it's really hard being an independent creator to be a freelance person. And I'm in a position in my life where I'm going to get to take one swing at it. And this is it. And I really need your help because there's a, there's a window on this thing. I only have so much time. And that amount of time is determined almost exclusively by how much you're willing to support what I'm doing here. So again, for the 19th time, because I keep rambling, it's whatamimaking.substack.com. Go over there. You can sign up to be a monthly member. That means you'll get charged every month. Plans start at six bucks a month. So you don't have to pay a lot of money if you don't want to. Um, you pay six bucks a month and um, you'll still get the same access, but you'll know uh, in your heart that you're doing something to support what I'm doing here. You can even sign up for a yearly membership where you save a little bit of money and uh, you pay 60 bucks all at once, or you can spend some more money and be a founding member. I'm also working on some ways where you can make some one-time donations or uh, leave something as simple as a tip. Um, if you've got different ways you'd like to help or ways that you think might be good to help generate some revenue for the project, I sure would love to hear them. You can uh, go find me over at whatamimaking.substack.com or you can email me directly at phonofor at gmail.com. I would love, love, love to hear from you. Once again, thanks for being here. Thanks for all of your support. Um, I sure can't uh, thank you enough for everything you've done so far. And uh, I really hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Jared Yates Sexton. I just, I really loved this. I wasn't sure what to expect. Um, like I said, I worried maybe it would be a little too political and I really thought that we kind of hit the sweet spot on this. I thought this went really, really well. And he was just super interesting and it took all kinds of really cool turns. And this is exactly what I want. I don't want to have a conventional interview where I sit down and I hit the bullet points and I do bop, 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 bop. And we get in, we get out. And I have the same conversation with a person that they would have on a press junket for a week and a half. I want to have genuine, thoughtful, unique, and individual conversations about real issues. We start things off with me asking him about how he's feeling about having recently left the world of academia. And are you glad to be out of academia? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. Uh, I miss teaching like hell. Um, you know, I, I always enjoyed that. I always enjoyed the relationships. I've got students that I'm still working with to to this day. I might go ahead and take a few classes here and there, but I mean, academia is just imploding. Yeah. And it's um, a, I have, uh, I have a couple of friends who teach and uh, boy, when we talk about it, it's just not, it's not great. No. And it's an intentional thing. And I think, um, I think a lot of academics are still trying to wrap their heads around it uh, and trying to understand what's going on, but it is a, uh, it, it's a intentional demolition. It's awful. Uh. Well, that and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about anyway, sure. was this this idea that like um, – so what really kind of got me down the road with this, Jared, was that that I realized that for the last 30 years I've been making stuff and I've been devaluing it because I had a day job. Oh, okay. And I reached this point where I went, 
this isn't how I want to spend whatever time I have left on the earth. Right. I want to spend it doing this. I don't have to make a fortune. I have to make something. Right. And, you know, we've all gone through COVID. I lost my dad really unexpectedly a couple of years ago. Sorry, man. I lost my dad years ago. It's, it's, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, we can, we can dive into that because that, um, I don't know what that did to you, but boy, and it took a while. I think it took a year or a year and a half before it really started to, to kind of change my behavior and my perspective. Yeah. Um, so anyway, long story short, all of that led to this culmination of like, wait a minute, I've just been afraid. I've been afraid to stand up and go, Hey, I'm doing this thing. That's valuable. Yeah. Who, who wants to give me a little bit of money for it? And that's just, that's just me cutting things off. Anyway, long story short, what I started to realize was that there has also been this sort of, I don't know if it's an intentional demolition, but there has been this sort of economic worm that has crept into the arts industry where yes. we have found ways to give it away and give it away. And then it becomes a cultural expectation to get it for free. Yep. Yep. And then everything therefore has less economic value. And then you go, well, how come I have to pay $65 to go see my band that I like, but I got to pay $22 fee, you know? Yep. And then you look at it and go, well, it didn't, you know, yeah, you, your mom got to go see the cars in 1982 for $7 because they sold records, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so like, I, I guess maybe a good place to start is kind of like, where do you see that? Um, that sort of, I don't want to talk about the sort of the political ramifications of where the, the demolition of education is coming from. I want to talk about what you sort of see, how that looks in the eyes of kids coming in yeah. who are quote unquote prepared for the world, as we have said, with a high school diploma. What, is that, what does yeah. that look like with your new students when you see those kids? Well, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting. And, and I think the art part of it is, is really fascinating as well, because I'm seeing that happen also, you know, with everything from like the creation of AI art and content. Um, I, I don't know if you saw this. A few days ago, there was like this video of sort of like an anime clip, right? That it was created via AI, artificial intelligence. And people were losing their minds and they were so excited about more content that they were going to get. And meanwhile, going back to what, what you were talking about, you know, the implication in all of this is, oh, we have a lot of creators who are going to be displaced, right? Yes. We have a lot of writers, we have a lot of animators, we have a lot of artists who are going to be displaced in all of this. And a lot of what has happened and and I think a large reason why we're sort of in the mess that we are right now is because um, uh, selfishness and and sort of a uh, self-fulfillment or self-gratification has been weaponized. And I think, you know, we, we have seen with um, in the neoliberal era, I think that basically what we have been taught in all ways and all shapes and forms is that we are all consumers and that we are all by ourselves in our consumption and in our gratification and what is happening. I actually think, quite frankly, that what we're dealing with isn't just a political or an economic crisis. I think there are other elements of it that are uh, a mental health crisis, but also, I think, a spiritual crisis. They're almost – I mean, it's it's weird. I was joking around with a friend the other day, and I, I, I just kind of stopped in the middle of an explanation. I went, did I just start a philosophy podcast knowing nothing about philosophy? <laughs> like, but But what you're saying makes sense, Jared. It is really – it's like it truly is the idea of culture. 
it's it's a level of expectation and behavior and patterns and that becomes ingrained in into those phrases like well that's how we do things yeah i i completely agree and 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 with that i i listen you know people have asked me before they're like what what worrying signs do you see in the world and like man there there's everything from january 6 to worsening rhetoric and you know uh radicalization through conspiracy theories you know on on, on one hand just to go ahead and plant the flag like seeing open anti-semitism you know what i mean celebrated aggressive anti-semitism that right there yeah. is a canary in the coal mine but there's little things too. There's little tiny things that go along with it. Like like just the way that we treat others, the way that we treat the environment, the way that we just, you know, everything from like discarding things to the way that we handle uh, our, our life in traffic. You know, like I need to get where I am going. And as a result, I need to endanger other people or take these shortcuts or do whatever. And I think what we have seen over the past few uh, uh, decades and even generations has been this push towards the idea of you, right? The just do it idea, whether it's greed or whatever. Neoliberalism, which is the defining ideology of our times, has so changed us. And some people will go ahead, speaking of philosophy, some people will go ahead and define it as um, this term homo economicus. The idea that capitalism has so um, irrefutably changed human beings that we have become economic creatures. And real real fast, I'll go ahead and, and give a quick example of this to uh, open it up for maybe more mass consumption. I always point towards the game show Survivor. And in the game show Survivor, for anybody who's ever seen this, like we get a bunch of strangers who are put on an island and they're there to create a society. And I think when you and I think about the idea of a society, we think about a functioning sort of a state, right, where we can live, we can survive, we can take care of one another, we can make something wonderful. But instead, what it does is it gets twisted, right? And it gets twisted into you have multiple people on an island who are lying to one another. And then they turn to the camera and explain how they're lying and how they're manipulating one another in order to get ahead and get uh, uh, away from one another and sort of, you know, benefit and profit. That ideology or that worldview or mindset uh, by hook or by crook, intentional or unintentional, has sort of replaced any notion of interdependence, any notion of actual value, by the way. Like we actually look at things of value. Like I'm sitting here talking with you. Uh, I have one of the most powerful devices in the history of humankind here. And how is it defined? It's defined by how I'm able to get it. You know, how I'm able to afford it, whether or not it's a deal through the company or not. Meanwhile, you have children who are being exploited in order to make that. You're having the environment that's being ex exploited. You're having so many layers of exploitation that allow me to get this for on the cheap. It eventually erodes appreciation. And I oh, think, for sure. Yeah. And I think what needs to happen is there needs to be a sea change of values in this country. And I know that that makes, you know, it makes me rankle a little bit talking about values and talking about spirituality, but something has to shift in terms of the way that we look at the world. It, it certainly has for me. I know for a lot of people it has, you know, you had mentioned it a little bit. I, I think that there, there does need to be a fundamental shift in terms of how we view the world and how we view our place in it. I think that's all, uh, Amazing. Well, and I even mentioned this to you in, in my sort of introductory email. I was like, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff and it's not going to make sense and it's going to go all over the place because all this stuff, if you really want to look at it, is interconnected. Yep. It's all about, you know, to use sort of a hackneyed phrase, 
it's all about being a little more mindful and deliberate, you know, stopping and going, where does this thing come from? How did I get this? You know, my, my neatly wrapped piece of beef came from a living animal that died so that this could get here. And that's one tiny piece of a decision we make every day that we don't think about. And there are these consequences that happen. Um, and I think what's, I think what's interesting about that discussion and kind of where we came in about the, the sort of intentional demolition of education is that the idea behind that is that we'll just sort of go with the flow and that we'll continue to appreciate those things less and less and, and be, you know, take them for granted, basically. Um, I've been reading this book called 4,000 Weeks by this guy named Oliver Berkman. Are you familiar with this? No, no. So the, it's basically the concept of if we get 80 years on life, we get roughly 4,000 weeks on this planet. How do we want to use them? And this guy was a, a sort of admitted uh, sort of time hack geek. And he realized that, like, the beauty of life comes from just stopping and going, none of this makes any sense. How are we here? How do I have all of these things and these choices? And now I look at them as obligations instead of opportunities. And I think that's some of the sea chains you're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sort of had a moment like that. And, you know, I, I everyone sort of like bristles whenever we talk about it. But like, you know, the pandemic, which obviously killed millions of people and was like one of the great tragedies of our generation. Um, you know, for me, it was an opportunity. And by the way, I want to talk about privilege, too. I was privileged to be an academic and a professor, you know, which meant that I got to teach from home. And when I wasn't teaching, I was out in my front yard in a hammock reading or and this was shocking, actually, what I did a lot of was I just listened to the birds, you know, and it was like something that like uh, I you, you listen to it enough and you suddenly realize the conversations that are going around you and you start to recognize individual birds and what's happening in the in the world when you slow down and take a moment. You know, during the pandemic, I was able to sit and really start thinking about myself. I was really able to start dealing with some of the trauma that I had gone through and able to shift how I looked at the world in terms of what actual privilege is, right? Which is, you know, we, we're, we're all traumatized. We all have these moments in our lives that, that set us back and shape who we are. But it is the ability to slow down, to start to think about things, to start considering things. And one of the things that became very quickly obvious to me was how much privilege is based on other people or other things that have given you what you experience. Right. So, for for instance, I grew up incredibly poor in a in a destitute family in a rural area. Um, I am now sufficiently middle class. Um, what do I do with my life? I spend it talking with you about heightened ideas. You right. know, writing about things that I'm researching through uh, means that I have learned and the ability to have them. America, in a sense, and and you know the the people in my family always wrinkle at this too. When you start talking about privilege, and they say, "Well, we don't have anything." You know, we, we, we haven't been given this heads up that other people have. Meanwhile, the American existence is sitting on top of a, a, a pyramid of privilege and exploitation, right? How many people underneath us are hurting? And, and on top of that, the environment. Uh, you know, there is just one amount of uh, exploitation after another. What is happening right now? And this goes back to education. This goes back to what's happening in art, what's happening economically, politically, you name it is that that privilege has been sort of rocked in the United States. And you can either, you, there's a couple things you can do with it. 
you can either take a moment as we're talking about and start exploring what things mean and your place in it and the interdependence of a larger thing, or quite frankly, you can get pissed off and determine that other people are going to suffer because you are going to go ahead like a crab in a bucket and keep what is yours. And so what we're dealing with at this moment is that choice. You know, it's funny you bring up taxes. I I had a moment... Um, I so I got this bill. I got this bill from 2018, right? I had a book come out and like, you know, somewhere in the translation or whatever, I I there's like an amount of taxes that just didn't end up getting paid. I don't know how to do taxes. I don't have a clue. I it's throwing stuff at the wall. I get letters, you know, years later, it's like you owe this. So I've been so pissed off about it. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. bill from 2018, five years ago, suddenly shows up in my in my in my uh mailbox. Here's the thing. I can pay it. You know, I, I right. can. I can pay it. It's a pain in my ass. I don't want to pay it. It sucks. But we also live in a culture where, and I think Donald Trump, by the way, has done us an incredible service in a lot of ways, to be honest. Incredible damage, but a lot of service in terms of reflecting back to us the worst parts of ourselves, which I mm. think is an important thing, is that one of the reasons that we hate Donald Trump so much is because when we look at him, we realize that we are capable of becoming him. Right. Because this is just a really unhappy, sort of a wretchedly unhappy. Person. Again, we're back to that sort of calcified Uber protectionist who's like, OK, I've got I've got what I need and I'm happy. Don't take it. Well, if you were genuinely happy, you'd want to share it. None of them are happy. And, the, and by the way, that's that, my point. Right. Like the yeah. whole idea is like if you need to hang that tightly, like we all saw that photo of Elon Musk's nightstand where it was like he was yes. like a savage psychopath who had like two handguns and never used a coaster. And it was like, nobody who lives like that is comfortable, secure, and happy. Nobody no. who's got two guns on their nightstand and is showing it off is going to bed feeling secure. Exactly. You know? And one of the things that we're seeing is the richest and most powerful people in the world are miserable. And they're doing us a, a great, great service in that regard. But one of the things that Donald Trump did for us, and, and you know, he, he keeps saying, or he said for the longest time, he's like, I don't pay taxes because I'm smart. Right. And I and I don't do that. And meanwhile, what is at the essence of that? It's something that all of us have a little bit of. Right. Which is I do need to pay that tax because that is what helps other people. That is what keeps this train going. But in, even though I know that, even though I write about that, even though I'm sitting here talking to you about that, my initial instinct was, oh, they're coming for my money. Yeah. You know, oh, oh, I'm going to have to pay this bill. They're taking a certain amount from me and it's going to happen. The the hair trigger in all of this is that we have been conditioned to think that way, right? And, yes. and and by the way, it's not it's not because there's something wretched about us that that is inherently there. It's that we've been conditioned by this through so many different means, whether it's getting around your taxes, not paying this, not doing that, getting around this responsibility. And what has occurred is a lack of mindfulness. Right. It Correct. is an immediate self-gratification, self-protection that has eroded this sense of interdependence. Um, it's hurt our communities. It's hurt our neighborhoods. It's, it's hurt regions. It's hurt families. It's hurt relationships. And what I what I say to people at this point is look around you at everything that, that, that we experience, whether it's, you know, streaming culture, everything has to be available immediately. Right. Yeah. And. 
And if your internet goes down, if something isn't working, it's a great tragedy, right? Because I can't get what I need right now. I can't get things delivered in time. I can't get things at the store on time. Um, I can't get to where I need to be because there's somebody ahead of me in traffic, right? It's it's the, the hair trigger that has sort of been placed within us because of the society and the way that it works. It is the exact opposite of mindfulness. It is self-gratification as quickly as humanly possible in order to turn off the thoughts that go back to how miserable people are when they have everything. Yeah, we will we will we will commoditize every second of your day. Yes. And then that way you won't have time to sit in your hammock and listen to the birds talk and think about what that means and what your place is in it. Exactly. And I want to point something out real fast because I, I want to get into the subject of music for just a quick second. Of course, yeah. I don't I don't know if you've noticed this, but well, uh, first of all, there, there's a plethora of stuff to talk about with it, right? I think it's fascinating that we live in one of the most divisive political times and like popular music is not political whatsoever at all. There, I mean, like I can't even tell you like what. No, would be. Not, not on a commercial level, no. Exactly. And so like what what is the most popular anti-Trump song? You know, what was the mo- what what was the thing? Like you could even look back at like the, you know, the Iraq war and sort of see it. There is no there is no Ohio for the Trump administration. Exactly. And what do you find instead? What I always notice is that most of the stuff that I hear and it's just sort of in passing, right? Most of the stuff that I hear is People don't get me, and as a result, they're the problem, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> or like, oh, they can't hang with me. That's the issue, and that's what our culture has become. It's become self-affirming as opposed to introspective and questioning, and that is even the same thing, I think, in a lot of our movies. I think uh, a lot of our culture, uh, popular culture, TV shows, you name it. I think that so much of this has been about avoiding mindfulness by uh, creating the commodification of, going back to what you were saying, that self-affirmation. Yeah, like, um, oh God, I, I can't even remember it and I don't want to look it up because I don't want Kid Rock to be in my browser history. But he he announced a tour yesterday and it was like, no snowflakes or uh, no, uh, I don't know. It, the whole idea was basically like he was doubling down on this this yeah. persona of being like this sort of, great American dirtbag. Like that's right. his whole shtick. And his whole thing was like, no, no, no. Not only, not only do I not expect you to buy a ticket, you're not allowed to buy a ticket because you're a snowflake near a liberal. And I don't agree with you. And I don't want you at my party. And like, so that kind of becomes like a, the, everybody else who loves that dude is like, fuck yeah. And then they, and they buy an extra ticket for a friend, you know? And like that just, that to me just feels like another, like we're sort of we're sort of living this sort of live artistic version of idiocracy right before our eyes. Well, and we've also created and this is the thing that I've been keeping track of the past few years that has really concerned me the most is we've actually created twin economies. And I think one of the things that we we've lost track of is everybody wants to talk about cancellation. That's not what happens. What happens is at a certain point, if you say the the wrong ideas or whatever, you are moved from one economy to another. Right. And so basically what we have created is corporatized ideology. We're buying like I one, one of the biggest examples of this I always point to is, you know, you have Nike, 
which is a corporation that has relied on exploitative labor. Uh, they've hurt the environment all the way around. You know. Meanwhile, what they do, they paid Colin Kaepernick millions of dollars to become the face of part of their ad campaign. Suddenly, everybody buys Nikes because they believe in Colin Kaepernick's, you know, protestation against police violence against, you know, minorities. Well, that's not actually carrying out a political ideology. That's putting on a consumer product that yeah. expresses your political ideology. That's propaganda for profit. It's propaganda for profit, woke capitalization, yeah. capitalization, if you want. Meanwhile, the right has created the twin economy of, oh, you are on my side. I'm going to go ahead and give you money because I align with that, which is, I mean, Kid Rock was not popular within mainstream uh, popular culture anymore. It wasn't like he was going to sell records to like regular everyday people. No, and and if you go to Nashville, uh, you can see the three or four floor bar and restaurant that he's got there, right on the main drag, and it is all that audience. It is all it. It is literally the mega crowd. Like that it is that whole block is designed for them. Like right, that is his, that has become his industry. Really? And that is what has ended up happening is that as the culture war has intensified, there's nothing right now because of the way neoliberalism works that individuals can do to change the world. That was one of the designs of neoliberalism. It was going to take away democratic energies and movements ability to actually change things. Instead, the idea was to vote with your dollars. What corporations and what people are you going to pay, right? So even now, we have like this this horrific situation where women's autonomy over their bodies has been taken away. And now everyone's like, is Walgreens going to distribute pills? Are, are we going to shop at Walgreens or are we going to boycott Walgreens? Which side of the line is that going to fall on as opposed to going out and taking care of the rights of women? And so I think in all of this, the really troubling aspect is that we're all telling ourselves stories about who we are, particularly when we're not being mindful. And whenever we're not being mindful, we're, we're thinking about who we are and what our values are, and we're expressing it through our purchases, which is part of this larger consumerist society, which keeps us in a sort of a character stage, right? Where we are pretending to be something that we are not based on where we're spending our money and what we're doing. And it's only through the slowing down, the self-introspection, who am I? What do I actually You're care You're essentially about? picking an avatar in a video game at this point. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the entire time, I mean, now we have like an entire generation of people. In, industry has gone away. You have men who are buying bigger and bigger trucks, carrying around AR-15s. They're, they're dotting their, their vehicles and their clothes with like Second Amendment, come and take it, you know, yeah. as if they're freedom fighters. And what happens over time, and I've, I've written about this pretty extensively, what happens over time is if you play that character enough, it stops being a character. Mm -hmm. And it becomes who you are and how you act in order to show the world that you are who you are. But that is a very Western, capitalistic, uh, anti-mindful thing. And, well, and, and you have a whole economy based on an idea of identifying a pain point. Yes. For most of us, that pain point is we don't have enough time. And so the solution always becomes more efficient delivery, more convenience, uh, more fun, more something, as opposed to less. You just said something about, well, you got to vote with your dollars. One of the ways you, you can vote with your dollars is to just spend fewer dollars, right? Like that's, that's a very deliberate and mindful choice. It isn't just 
I'm going to buy this here instead of there. Yep. It's maybe don't buy that at all or don't buy that as much or don't buy that the way you buy it right now. Not necessarily where you buy it. And I think most of us aren't thinking about that. We're not, we're not stopping for a second and going, wait, I, do I need a chainsaw? Do I have a friend I could borrow this from instead of going to like, talk about privilege. Like I can just go to home Depot and buy a chainsaw for 250 bucks and nothing twice about it. Cause I need to do a project. Or would I be better served to just spend 500 bucks and hire a local dude who that's what he does. And then I don't have to do it, you know? And again, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but like, it's all about how that one tiny little kernel of stopping and thinking about one choice could balloon into a million things. And we obviously don't have time to do that with every decision we make, but we also can't never do it. And right now we're never doing it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that is, I, I think that's the larger issue where we're at this moment, I think it's it's a crisis of meaning, right? We've arrived at this point where, you know, we're, we're able to basically um, ha- have people go and shop for us, right? We're, yeah, we, yeah. we basically have an entire gig economy. My time is worth more than other people's time. They can go get my food. They can bring it to me. They can get my groceries. They can bring it to me. We've arrived at this point where we're told that this is the best of all possible worlds. We live in the greatest country in the history of the world, and yet all of us are miserable. <laughs> like, you know, and we're overworked, we're being exploited. A lot of the lies that we've been told are starting to be exposed as lies. And suddenly we have arrived, and this is one of the things that I keep saying is really, really dangerous. We're at a crossroads. And the crossroads uh, is is economic, political, like I said, uh, uh, you know, uh, mental health, uh, spiritual. Whenever you arrive at these points where like the order of the moment is sort of going bankrupt, like the illusion is sort of flickering, something has to replace it. That is what I've I've, I've found going through history. I, I wrote them in Night Kingdom. I went through these cycles. Eventually, you reach a point where all of a sudden the car runs out of gas and you got to replace it with something. And what we're looking at now is we either do what we're doing, which is take a second, consider who we are, try and figure out a better way, find more mindfulness, find more interdependence with others, and reignite something that is real and true and human. Or, and by the way, we know that it's real. You know, just like you and I are having a conversation. When you have these conversations, it doesn't matter what your political ideology is or what your belief system is. When you get right down to it, if you wipe away all the other bullshit and you just talk about what we're talking about, you know it's real. Everyone locks in. Every person I've ever had a genuine conversation with about this locks in. The fact that we have cave paintings from 50,000 years ago or whatever it is, and we didn't even have language, that tells you that we've been trying to find ways to connect with each other since the moment we popped on this earth. That's not going to stop. It's the most magical thing possible because honestly, and, and, and you know, not to, not to blow smoke up your ass, but it's like we're having a good conversation here. We, we've never talked, you know, right. and, and, and like, I, I already trust you. I trust you implicitly. Thank because, you. Well, no, it's true because, and I think this is one of the reasons that things like podcasts are very popular is because you, you, you get a sense that another person is being an honest broker. And when you have that, and, and what is the definition of intimacy? It's seeing the self in others. Right. It's understanding this is another human being who goes through life, who has experiences that are like mine, which, by the way, is the antidote toward uh, uh, there's this concept of thrownness. And in, in philosophy, it's the idea that we're thrown into this world. We have no idea why we're here and we're alone. And my God, what are you supposed to do? 
And the antidote to that is finding that other people have been thrown into the world as well and that you are not alone. The true definition of all being in the same boat. Exactly. So what happens is there's like a magic to intimacy. We all know it whenever these layers of bullshit fall by the wayside. I had a I had a situation actually just this last weekend. I was uh, I was having um, a drink with a couple of people. I mean, listen, immediately it was about how January 6th wasn't actually dangerous. Donald Trump was the greatest president ever. All this stuff. And, you know, eventually what happened was I was like, listen, let's go ahead and lay the cards on the table. And and this is always, you know, where it happens. I say, listen, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a registered Democrat. And and do I enjoy Joe Biden as president? No, I do not. But I also know that you know that Donald Trump is a buffoon. And they're like, yeah, he's kind of a buffoon. It's like, OK, finally, we've moved, you know, and go back to that trench warfare idea. We both come out of our trenches. We can now have a conversation. And when you get past a lot of these sort of divisions that are intentional, you start having conversations about what you all know deep down the tuning fork of the soul knows full and well that we're living in an unequal time, that uh, there is a problem with top-down power and weaponized inequality, that the system doesn't work and it's been corrupted. If you're not using Biden, if you're not using Trump, Hillary Clinton, you know, Mitch McConnell, whatever, if you're not moving those, using those artificial divisions, all of a sudden those divisions fall by the wayside and you're having a conversation with another human being who is just in the world trying to exist and they have their own self that is, you know, walking through it. Those artificial stories fall apart. And the next thing you know, you can have real conversations, which is going back to it. That is the true decision. That is the what should happen at this moment, the spiritual crisis that we're talking about. But the opposite is what Trump and the Republicans and, and, and even some people within the Democratic Party are offering, which is it's the idea of there's nothing that you need to change. You know, you're perfect. Well, like, and to get right back to what, yeah, and to yeah. get back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, for lots of people, the fight's really good for business. Great for business. It's great for business, you know? So it's, you know, uh, nothing quite so good to uh, rally the troops as to have a common enemy, you know? And so it's really simple to make the other person responsible for whatever the evils of the world are. Well, and by the way, like there's nothing better and going back to neoliberalism, the entire idea behind neoliberalism is to go ahead and create levels, Right. And and I always use the example of like an airline. It's whenever you're getting ready to get on an airplane and you buy the economy level seat, you know, you have no space. You're crammed in there. It's miserable. Chances are you're not even going to be able to carry a bag on. You pay a little bit extra. Maybe you have a little bit more of a, of a seat. Maybe you're able to put a bag up. Maybe you even board before the other people do. If you pay the premium, you can let those assholes deal with their own shit back there and you are fine and comfortable. In all of this, it's about making sure that people are paying for a premium. Oh, things are getting worse out there and you can't pay for, I don't know, uh, you live in a red state, a so-called red state, where they don't allow women to have autonomy over their bodies, move to a blue state where you have to pay more to live there, but you can get away from the brutality. And we have like this stratified idea of how the world works, which goes ahead, going back to what you were saying, it prioritizes the spending. It prioritizes the consumption, right? Oh, things are getting worse out there. I probably need to leave, live in a gated community. I probably need to have privatized security, right? There's all I these- can't send my kids to public school. 
Exactly, which is part of the reason why public school is being destroyed. Yes. Right. Yes. And because it's that... because there are people who think that it's unsafe. Or there are people who think that it's not the right level of education when that's patently ridiculous. Um, you know, if nothing else, uh, the diploma I got 32 years ago is far less rigorous than the one that my kids got six years ago. Yeah, exactly. The, the, and the, state, the, the state requirements have gone up exponentially. Essentially, a kid getting a diploma from the state of Michigan today in high school that is worth the same level as what I got in the summer of 1990 is getting what at the time for me would have been an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is we've actually made it more difficult for you to get a high school diploma and we've made it less valuable once you have it. Yeah. And we've gone ahead and we've taken, and, and this is one of the defining issues of our time is the inability to pay for higher education on top of that. Right. And we've created like a, a, a huge divide in terms of like what people are able to do, what type of education they're able to get. And you read these things. I, I don't know if you saw this, but there was an article, I want to say it was about a month ago, and it was talking about um, wealthy families in New York City, right? And we're talking about attorneys, we're talking about doctors, and all of them are like, we're falling behind. We can't even f afford to send our kids to like the most elite of the private schools. Meanwhile, their kids are going to private schools, but not the most elite of them. They're like looking around. They're like, well, yeah, we have a weekend home outside of the city, but like it's not in the best city where it needs to be. We're being left behind. And, you know, right. It's always more. It's always better. It's always improvement. Right. And and there's a there's something that stuck with me from this article in particular. Um, and I think it was in the cut. There's one person, I want to say she's a lawyer, and she looks at this house or this brownstone or whatever, and she goes, if only I could get the bathtub of my dreams, it would feel like all of this was worth something. And the important thing here is it's always external and it's always something. If yep. it's not a bathtub, it's a private plane. If it's not a private plane, it's Twitter. If it's not Twitter, it's your own personal space agency. The entire point of this is that you need to find something out there that will fix you, right? And it's not about the internal. It's not about coming uh, to terms with who you are. It's about something out there that you need and other people are keeping it from you and they need to get out of your way. Don't you or think, though? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Um, but don't you think, though, that at a certain point you have to – I mean, this is kind of where I'm at. In my life is I kind of just stopped and I went, what if I just asked why more than once? What if I just went, why do I do that? Why do I want that? Why am I buying that? Why am I, why do I feel that? And then what, whatever the answer is to that, why is that happening? And if we dig two or three layers deep, all of a sudden you can go, oh, this isn't about that shit at all. Mm -hmm. And then it's a lot simpler to just go, what if I went, what do the important things in my life look like? Like, what are they really? Like, you got on here, and the first thing you said to me before you even said hello, you said, man, that is such a cool space you've got, mm -hmm. right? You know what's funny? Most of the time, it requires somebody else seeing it for me to remember how cool it is. Yep. We all do that with our own lives. And so we think, I need this one more thing. I need this one more thing. No, what I need is just to commit myself to what I know is important and find a way to do that. And I think that's, I, I think maybe what, what I hope I'm doing here is finding some way to not only give myself permission for that, but to give that permission to other people. 
Like I can't, you and I as individuals, Jared, can't pull people off of this, this carousel, right? We can't yank people out of the system, but we have a system that is, you very clearly have laid out is broken. And then the system comes back and says, okay, just look around some more to find the thing in here that will fix it. Right. Well, we don't get cancer and then go, all right, let's go dig around in the cancer to figure out the part of cancer that's going to make it go away. We look for an external way to fix it. And I just don't think we can look inside this system of like, do this to save time and do that to save money to, to, to sort of get some, when all we need to do is just sit around and listen to the goddamn birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, it is interesting because it was like, for me, the pandemic gave me an opportunity, right? It was like, I wasn't seeing anybody. I wasn't like going out and going places. Like when it, when it came time for me to get dressed, I, I started to ask myself questions and means that I've created for myself to understand this. It's why do I wear the clothes that I wear? Right. And I, I, I always used to say this to my students, you know, I would come in and I would be like, I want you to write a journal entry, which is why, do, why are you wearing the clothes that you wore? And, and inevitably they're like, well, it was what was clean. I was like, okay, well, how did that article of clothing end right. up? Go, in- go do the thing I just did, which is ask why one more time. Right. So for instance, like I'm sitting here talking to you and for anybody who's listening to this, I'm sitting here in a hoodie. I'm wearing a trucker hat with a beer brand on it. I've got jeans and boots on, right? Listen, why am I wearing that? I'm wearing that because that's my armor. That's my costume that makes me feel capable to come and talk to a complete stranger about things, which by the way, I have all the research. I have the publications. I have the background. I'm still absolutely terrified that I don't know what the shit I'm talking about. Do you I know have, what I mean? Oh, my God. I have a friend. I haven't even responded to her yet because um, I want to give her an intentional response. But she texted me this morning, and she's teaching um, – she teaches uh, English at a university in Detroit. And <laughs> she's teaching a Murakami novel right now, which is yeah. its own which is its own thing that I would never want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and she sent me the first slide of her deck, and it just said, I'm so full of shit. <laughs> right? And I'm like, okay. I have an associate's degree in theater. You have a doctorate in English literature, and you're coming to me with your self-doubt and your, you know, imposter complex. Do you think that's just ingrained in everyone and some of us just tune it out? I think some people never think about it. And I think actually there's a certain point, I think, where you can tune it out. So, for instance, going back to, to like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is like the type of person that like is totally and utterly uh, in in the belief that he's capable of doing whatever. I, I think all the time about when uh, the pandemic broke out and he went to the CDC and he told reporters, he was like, sometimes I know more about this than the scientists do. And you're like, oh, my God, that's incredible. Right. And meanwhile, there's like this deep, deep, um, you know, doubt that is like somewhere in him that he couldn't probably find it if he had to. Oh, no. But there's clearly like there's there's. There's all sorts of just like the pathos in there is just buckets load, right? Yeah, it's incredible. And so for me, I always like I'll tell students they're like, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, they ask me things like, you know, how are you feeling about a new book coming out? Or, you know, I have an article coming out or whatever. And they're like, how are you feeling? about? It? I'm like terrified. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out there putting myself out there to be judged, uh, you know, possibly to, to be judged badly. 
And for a lot of people, and I used to think this before I ever got a short story published, before I ever had an article published, I was like, if I can get that one, that's all I ever need and everything will be fine. But that's not it. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you accomplish unless it's coming from like a, a, an actual real spot inside of you. What you're doing is you're attempting to fill a hole that cannot be filled. Correct. And, and, and in all of this, going back to the the idea of like what I'm wearing by asking myself why it is that I present to the world the way that I do, as opposed to it being the default, suddenly I can start pointing out, why is it that I'm afraid to go on and talk to somebody? You know, why am I afraid to have this conversation with someone and be open and, and talk about these things? And all of a sudden, then the idea of an imposter syndrome comes out. I was like, why do I feel that way? What is it that has happened to me in my life that has created that situation in myself? And, and for the longest time, you know, I, when I was just like a, a, a fiction writing professor before I got into the political scene, I had one year. I, I want to tell you, Matt, I think I published like 40 stories. Oh, my God. Oh, I had I had an incredible run there. I and you know, before I got into politics, I think I had three story collections and a novel in a five year span. You know, I was wow. I was booking, you know. And was I doing that simply because I was just prolific or was I terrified? You know, oh. I I I walked into the academy. I was a poor kid and I wanted to prove that I belong there. And as a result, I ran myself ragged. And there is a part of our culture that sees that as a positive attribute. Oh, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You came from this tiny little town in Indiana from nothing. And now you have to prove that you belong here when you probably had a bunch of people who literally like failed down to get to the point you were at that you busted your ass to get right right and and meanwhile what you just told was a mythology that i live through right like that's the story i and and listen i gotta be honest about it that is something that i have a lot of pride about but there's still the counterbalance of it like i just had a book came out come out that is the retelling of modern history starting with rome I'm sorry. Am I trying to prove something to people? Yes. Yes, I am. And I always have been. And that's the truth of it. Yeah. I could find knowledge that I hope can help with the current moment. But yes, I took on a mountain to say that I could take on a mountain. Like there there are all these different parts that are going through. And when you're honest with yourself, and and by the way, like I'm sitting here talking to you about this and there's a little voice in my head. It's like, you shouldn't have said that. (laughs) You're, you're opening yourself up. You're making yourself. Okay, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna be completely, uh, you know, just open and naked here, um, I uh, I have an article that I've been working on about how impossible it is to get paid at the level my band is at, even when we yeah. do well in the rooms we do. And we had a situation in early February where we had a couple of shows, one in my hometown and one in Detroit, and we did really well. And at the end of the weekend, we had three hundred seventy five dollars to show for it. Yeah, and. I start a whole section with, oh, hipsters will cringe at this, you know, like this is patently uncool to talk about, but not talking about it is just making the situation worse. Well, and by the way, what happens is going back to that idea of thrownness, you know, let's say that like, 
we're all on this island, going back to the survivor idea. If we're all on the island, all we're doing is making islands of ourselves and making it impossible for us to talk to one another and compare things. I, I told you I left academia. One of the biggest problems that I had in academia was that as austerity was taking place and as it was being demolished, I noticed that the people within it turned on one another. They weren't talking about what they were getting paid. They weren't talking about, you know, what perks they were being given, you know, what what resources they were being given. Yeah. And as a result, yeah. they were doing it in order to protect what they had and to keep it from other people. Right. Because mm -hmm. what mattered was that they got what they wanted and what they thought that they deserved. Screw everybody else. Well, guess what? That is a recipe for you losing what you have. Because right. it, when you don't provide a united front, the entire thing falls apart over time, which goes back to the political idea. Anybody right now who thinks that rising authoritarianism is going to stop with trans people or gay people or poor people or people of color or women or red states for that matter, whatever we want to say. If you think that you are somehow or another immune to it because it's happening to other people, it's the exact same idea. We have to be able to talk to one another about what we have, what we're afraid of, what our fears are, all of it. We have to be able to start having intimacy and trust and solidarity or else it's all going to fall apart. I feel like we've just completely lost the art of conversation with each other. We've completely forgotten how to like, it's all like, it's all like small talk and bullshit and nobody ever goes, no, how are, how are you really? Yes. Um, and I, I think that's, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, you know, and like, I'm not a religious person, but like as civic engagement drops, as, as, you know, local community groups sort of fade and you don't see things like the Rotary and the Lions Club and things like that anymore, um, you know, and people don't have things like church groups or whatever, school really be, becomes the only place in town where everybody kind of has to, you know, sort of coalesce at one point or another. And that's become a battleground. Well, and that's the one place where we actually overlap one another, mm -hmm. you know, I, I and, and I don't think it's a coincidence that that has become like the leading bleeding edge in all of this. Right. But the larger part is that we can't even like at this point and, and go ahead to the interpersonal level. I think everybody listening to this probably has had a moment where they and a significant other, they're not talking about what needs talked about. Right. And as a result, how many arguments happen around the thing, right? Like instead of talking about a pressing issue, you're having fights about who unloaded the dishwasher, yes. right? You're having an argument about do you have to chew so loudly or the way you laugh is annoying me or you, whatever it is. It's a tertiary sort of a thing. We've reached a point now where in this and, – and, and it's, you know, in a, in a society – we do need to talk about how things are handled. We actually do have pressing concerns at this point. There are things changing. And, you know, I, one of the things that keeps getting lost right now is we, we are starting to see old institutions and ideas that are starting to be challenged. There's a reason why transgenderism is at the front of so many of these debates. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And yeah. we are in a generational shift in which a lot of people who self-identify as liberals are made uncomfortable by something that they don't understand. Yeah. And even some of the people who will put up signs in their yards that say this house believes in love or Black Lives Matter, those people are terrified that their kids are going to come home with different pronouns or different ideas of how the world works. They're terrified that it's a social contagion. They're terrified that there's an indoctrination that's happen happening. Instead of having a conversation about that, it's much easier to believe that people are being groomed. 
you know, that there that there's like a satanic pedophile called. Well, did you out. I mean, have you noticed that like there is always this kind of comic book mentality that like there's always an evil entity? Yes. Right? There's always like okay, if I've learned anything from watching history, it's that the evil entities usually don't wind up doing as much damage as they could or should because they're fucking idiots. You know, handful of, you know, Nazis notwithstanding, okay? Like, clearly that was fairly efficient. Um, but, like, most, like, look at Watergate. <laughs> look at January 6th, right? These are complete buffoons. And they nearly pull off the inside straight. You know, so, like, I don't think we need to think of it as evil being pressed down upon us. It's mostly just apathy that's just, ha- it's just shit that's happening. And we just don't bother to stop and go, that. There's no reason for this to be. It's apathy mixed with complicity. So, for instance, you know, one of the reasons why, whether it's CRT or grooming is happening within public schools is because of right-wing billionaires like Betsy DeVos, who want to privatize public education. Yeah. And they have realized the quickest way to take over local school boards and to destroy education and take over local governments is to go ahead and use those boogeymen that we're talking about to make things, you know, use I mean – there's a reason why a person like a Ron DeSantis is so effective, right? Because right. they go ahead and they use these fears against people and they, they're doing it on behalf of these billionaires. It is a, a fact that a lot of the people who should be on the watch for this, journalists, politicians, people in their communities, they just don't want to like really take a look as we've been talking about in the mirror. They don't want to have moments of self-introspection to think about how they've arrived at the point that they're at, who they are, who they really are, you know, when it's quiet and no one is around and, and to really reflect on what has happened as a result. There is a rightward movement in this country, and it's being funded and directed and focused and weaponized. And what makes me afraid is that if we don't start having these larger conversations about who we are and why we do the things we do and where our privilege comes from and who we are again when we don't have any clothes on and no one's around, like, who are we? That question continues to get punted down the road. And instead of that getting answered, instead of that getting figured out, it's those boogeymen. It's the evil that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. And by the way, we're putting quotes around it because it's not actually about people who are evil. It's about material conditions. It's about wealth. It's about profit incentives, right? It's all of these things that continue to push it, but they have an answer for it, which is the evil or, you know, the quote unquote evil is at the heart of it. And that has been the story for centuries. That is exactly how the powerful have always protected themselves. Yeah, just distract. And by the way, it's important to point out, and, and this is something we don't examine very, very much. The right wing movement that we're dealing with, particularly evangelical Christian nationalism, it's learned what it is from looking at those people. Like oh, sure. Islamic fundamental groups, like they look to them for for instructions on how to radicalize young men, how to go ahead and use fundamentalism as a jumping off point in order to you know have theocratic control. And it all has to do with something which is it's a bunch of people trying to tell themselves stories, trying to like explain themselves and what they believe and their place in the world. And then it becomes violent and it becomes, you know, an attempted revolution or overthrow of the system. But as you said earlier, it also becomes, it also stops becoming a character and starts becoming an ideology of self. It starts becoming sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you become that version of yourself, that whole idea of act as if. Well, if you act as if 
you don't want public education to be important and you don't need to have these conversations and money will solve all your problems sooner or later you become the you become that guy who wears his second amendment shirt and goes to the rifle range on saturday because that's what makes that's what makes him him and he won't stop to go why do i do this and we've all done it right like i realized that i'd spent a bunch of my life specifically my my teenage years and my 20s watching sports. And I realized that it really wasn't doing anything positive for me most of the time. And so I still have a pretty healthy relationship with baseball and soccer and that's it. You know, um, I don't need those things in my life the way that I used to, but it used to be what I did and who I was. Right. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think sporting events like have a really good example in all this. Like I'm I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Chicago okay. Cubs fan. Long suffering Chicago Cubs fan. That is part of my personality. Right. That I and here's the thing. You won a world title six and a half years ago and you still right. use the phrase long suffering. Exactly. And that is part of the idea. And by the way, anybody who knows a Boston Red Sox fan Mm -hmm. knows all about this. The Red Sox won multiple titles, and yet they still carry around the idea of the cursed franchise, and they stick with something even as it's falling apart. It's the exact same thing that happened with uh, the Las Vegas Raiders in the past. They were, you know, the rebels, and that's who they were. It's the exact same thing that is happening with Trump and MAGA and the Republican Party and everything that we're talking about. Um, I think all the time, and I'm sure that you've you've been at like at a funeral at some point where someone is laying their dad to rest or their their uncle to rest, and they're like, "Oh, you know how he loved the Cardinals," and that's the story, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's the one thing that can go ahead and give that meaning. In this case, Trump and MAGA and all of this authoritarian right wing movement has allowed people who maybe didn't have stories about themselves, right? They didn't have the jobs that they might have had in the past. They might not have had the cultural affiliations that they had in the past. At this point, they're patriots, right? They're 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 fighting for the betterment of the country. They're the ones who are going to stand up with their guns and go ahead and make the world safe for the people around them. And what and you're talking about at, at its core is purpose. Yes. And I realized that when I kind of started to kind of come out of whatever I'd been coming out of, you know, during pandemic and the loss of my dad, that like that, that really was what I was missing was that I had this stuff that was filling my day, but I didn't have purpose. I didn't, I didn't get up every day and go, I get to do this. I said, I got it. I got this shit. I have to do. There was never something that I got to do. And it was like, well, how do I build something that I get to do? How do we feel gratitude for that? And so, um, And Pete and I have talked about this a lot. I think some of it is that there are a lot of people in our sort of age bracket who kind of just sort of fade into this life on autopilot and we don't have engaging relationships with other, other dudes that are, that are about real things that aren't about wings and beer and football. Yep. And masculinity is such a huge part of this. Well, and I think we're going to, I was going to talk about some of that, but I think we're going to need to save the entire toxic masculinity conversation for another day because I think you and I had not very dissimilar high school experiences. I think Uh, that's probably fair. um, And and uh, I think that that is one of the key, like sort of Rosetta stones in all of this. Yeah. Um, And I also think, I also think at some point we should have a conversation. Maybe this is, that's part of the same conversation, but been doing a lot of sort of looking and having talks with people of my own age about kind of the weird place that Gen X holds in the American arc. Yep. And that there is this spot where like, we're the first latchkey kids 
we're the first ones to really engage with multiple technologies really quickly over a really short period of time. And then eventually the technology that happens right as we reach adulthood ish kind of becomes the prevailing piece of our culture in that moment and probably will be for the next hundred years. Yeah. And I think that's a weird place to be. That's a lot of shit to have to catch. Right. I think that generational shift is at the heart of so much of what's happening here. And also, I mean, it's, it's, it's how our politics are developing. It's how like the mood of the country is shifting. I I think that all of that is absolutely essential and completely uh, just underrepresented in conversations about how this is unrolling, which is why I'm super glad that you're here. So we can actually like get this started. It's, and it went, it's gone so great. Um, so I'll leave you with one last question. What are the birds you're listening to right now? How are you finding some peace, some uh, some engagement, some enlightenment? What it like movies, TV, books? What are you What are you eating? What are you What are you drinking? What are you What are you doing? Well, there's a couple of things that are happening on that front. Um, so I've left academia. I'm now an independent writer and independent academic which has, going back to just being brutally honest, it has re-engaged the sink or swim part of my brain, right? So it has put me into overdrive in terms of research, working, pushing myself in order to, you know, try and stay afloat. But the moments that I do have for mindfulness, they take place, um, first of all, in therapy, obviously. Uh, I have just absolutely dedicated myself to that. Um, That has uh, yielded a ton of fruit, but also my relationships. Um, I want to have real relationships. I want intimacy. I want to be open. I want to stop not, uh, you know, whether it's barriers to other people or the small talk, chit chat bullshit that we were talking about. I don't want it anymore. I don't have right. time for it. Anymore. And and actually for me, and just to go ahead and, and, and bring this on a more somber tone, you know, I lost my dad when he was 59, just unexpectedly, didn't, didn't expect it at all. And ever since then, it's been about 10 years, I am struck with an urge to not waste any time with small talk, chit chat and bullshit. And so I want I want real, actual, legitimate conversations. Uh, I I want to get lost in them. I want to get to know people. I want to see self in them. And and that is uh, that is where the majority of it happens for me. That's awesome. Did you get to do a lot of that on the book tour? You know, I I did. I I have had a weird thing for me, for people who don't know, I have this memoir out there that basically talks about a lot of the abuse and trauma I went through as a kid. I still have almost every day someone will reach out to me about something that had happened to them and something that has happened to me. Um, It is honestly at times, um, there's no other way to explain this. Uh, other than uh, the comic book character Daredevil. For anybody who's ever come across it, there's this uh, uh, issue of, it's called What If. Have you ever heard about this? No. Where they, ta- where they take like Marvel characters and they put them in alternate universes to show how one thing could change or whatever. Anyway, there's a moment where Daredevil, who has like superhuman hearing, suddenly his his powers grow and he can hear everything. And he has to shut himself out, out, up in a cave. And that's always what I think about because... Sometimes I'm having so much intimacy with so many people because they've read about my life and because they're sharing about theirs. But when I'm in it, it's the most rewarding thing imaginable. And so people want to talk to me about their experiences, what they're going through, the solidarity they're trying to build, the the movements they're trying to build. It's really, really beautiful. 
and rewarding, but it is sometimes so much that it feels like my, my heart is going to explode. Yeah. But uh, I get, and, I get a and lot. It's, it's uh, if you put yourself in that situation enough, like it, it yields an enormous amount of power, but there is a cost to it. Like there is a, there's a, there's an exhaustion that comes after, yes. you know, um, one of the, one of the, 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 the jokes I make is the hardest job I've ever had is a four hour solo set. You know, mm-hmm. because you just come home wrecked. You've literally just given, you know, you're doing four things at once. And in, in your case, what you're doing is you're listening and you're you're caring and you're tuning in on somebody's trauma. That requires a great deal of energy if you do it genuinely. And I think well, what and, I, and I think what you're saying is that we don't have to do it all the time, right? We don't. We don't. We shouldn't. We can't. But like, what if we? approached it like it was meditative where we said i'm going to do this twice a week instead of saying i'm going to go to therapy say i'm going to go to therapy and i'm going to invite a friend for coffee and we're not just going to talk about surface level bullshit you know i I, you know i have this one thing that i want to share with them and then whatever happens after that happens but like just a little intentionality in the way that we communicate with each other um you know i've i've seen what you're talking about in the way that i've changed my life in the last six months and just how re-engaging with the people that matter to me has made me appreciate and love them so much more. Like this has been especially true in my marriage, like incredibly. So like just has, has led to really good growth and it's amazing how just a little bit of work leads to a a lot of yield. Well, and it's bravery. It's honestly, it's bravery. It's being able to say the things that you need to say to other people and, and not expecting them to, you know, destroy you. And, and to go ahead, I think this is a good place to leave it off. Most times they don't. Most of the time when you act the fool, when you go ahead and put yourself out there, you get rewarded for it. And I'm not even just talking about the people closest to you who, if they love you, most of the time will at least hear you and make space for you. Sometimes people that you are in feuds with, people who hate you, people who just really do not care for you at all, when you show them the honest, intimate truth, most of the time that is rewarded. Most of the time that is seen, given, and reacted to with honesty or a lot of the time empathy. And that's a frightening thing. It's really scary to show people your soft underbelly. And it's terrifying. I think I think it I think it works out a lot of the time. Not all the time. Do not get me wrong. It does no, not work. I, I feel like it worked out pretty well today. I well, wait, are you an enemy? I didn't realize I was coming in. No, I just <laughs> meant like showing off the soft underbelly. I mean, and honestly, Jared, am I, am I I mean, I'm a 50-year-old man. <laughs> Who has not taken the best care of myself? It's all pretty much soft underbelly at this point. It's all just, it's all just blubber. It's just. Uh... I don't have room for <laughs> anything else anymore. I, you know, it's like I turned forty, and it's like I don't, because it, it's like I used to. Yeah. I used to try and be such a hard ass. I, you know, I was a, a drinker and a hellraiser, and and yeah. you know, chasing people around, and I. I just don't have it anymore. No. And 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 I wish I could have gone back in time and talked to my past self and, and reclaim some of that time, you know? Well, and there are, I mean, and I just had a conversation with Maura Quinn about this. And one of the things we talked about a lot was like, how many different people have you been? Yeah. You know? And, and so that's, I mean, that's a different conversation for another day. But um, this was super fun, Jared. Thank you so much. Wow, thank you so much to Jared Yates Sexton, specifically for making me sound so very intelligent in that conversation. Now, that was sort of a humble brag that I made myself sound like I was saying 
wasn't I intelligent, but it was really Jared. So I can't tell if I just gave myself a left-handed compliment. And now do I have, is that an ableist comment to say that it's a left-handed compliment? It doesn't matter. I'm just digging my own grave at this point. Um, If you enjoyed that conversation, and boy, if you're still here, I have to assume that you did because I really thought it was great. Uh, If you enjoyed that conversation, make sure you're going over and following Jared on whatever social media outlet you use. Also, make sure you check out his YouTube page, The Muckrake Podcast, and subscribe for his Substack page, which is Dispatches from a Collapsing State. Make sure that you look for Jared's uh, different uh, works, both fiction and nonfiction, wherever you get your books, or just ask at your local library. If nothing else, send him a nice note on Twitter or on Facebook and say, hey, man, I heard you on Maddie's show. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on there. Thank you for being here, as always. I would love it if you would come over to the Substack and uh, give us a subscription and maybe consider kicking in a little bit of cash to help keep the doors open. You can go to whatamimaking.substack.com. You can sign up for a free, or it'd be even better if it was a paid subscription. See, I'm already getting a little better at it. I'm trying. I'm try- I promise I won't become like schmoozy and gross about it because I just, uh, unless I do it like completely ironically, but even then that feels like it'd just be too icky. Thanks, as always, for being here. Thanks for your support. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your encouragement, your kind words, your belief, your faith. Thank you for being you. Again, I know some of this stuff is corny, but I'm just going to try it out and see what fits. I'm happy you're here. I'm glad that you're a part of this thing. Even if you haven't told me, just by sitting here and, again, listening to my voice somewhere in the future. That's magical. We're making magic together. I want to be happy about that. I want to take the Fred Rogers approach. I'll see you next week. Be good. Be good.